Yes, uh, Scott had to be gone this week. He had some urgent business to go and help out with. So he's gone. So he was like, hey, does anyone want to speak? You got a week's, week's notice. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I'll try it. <laughs> I'll try, yeah. <laughs> Not sure about succeeding, but I'll try. <laughs> yeah. But I actually, I always love the opportunity to speak um, because, you know, it's just, there's certain things that God just really puts on your heart. And it's like, wow, when you have a gift to share that with others and maybe something connects and maybe you relate to it, that's just, uh, it's a beautiful thing. So um, I'm going to pray and then we'll get started and we'll get into our little reading today. God, we thank you just for this morning. We thank you for uh, the intention of our gathering this morning. It's, it's not just to sing a couple songs and clap and um, feel good. It, it, it's to investigate, to understand, to reach for truth and reality in our lives. Most of all, you are that truth. You are that reality. So help us this morning just to... Grab hold of that most of all. Um, the songs are, are rich with those, with those truths. The scriptures are even richer with those truths. And our company can be an example of the same thing. So help us to just absorb all that today, to reach after some new things in our lives. Would you just speak to us this morning? In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen. So today, you know, I had um, short, short notice. I was like, well... What's been recently just come up that I've uh, been going through in Scripture that really just spoke to me? And this last week, I was meeting with a student that I mentor and we meet with each week, and we just go through the gospel one chapter at a time. And we're in John 5. So that's our passage this morning is John 5, 1 through 18. I'm not going to even attempt to do all of John 5 because it's... Uh, it's frankly, I'm not smart enough to do it, honestly. <laughs> uh, but uh, I'm going to do just the first 13, 18 verses, and there's, uh, there's a little story that happens. And when I was going through it with my student, it was just like, it was just jumping off the page. Um, I just found myself in this story so vividly. And so I thought, you know, this might be a cool thing to share with you guys this morning. So if you got your Bible or you got the handout, um, I'm pretty sure it's on there. And then if you need your, pull out your Bible app. I, uh, I use the, an old version of the NASB, so I'm reading it in that. And again, we're in John 5, 1 through 18. We're not going to finish Galatians today because Scott's going to do an awesome job wrapping that up. And he, he's got that all in his mind. I didn't want to attempt to do that. So, so John 5 starts with, he says, uh, this is the healing at Bethesda. It says, after these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, verse 2, there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called, in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five, whatever word you have in there, colonnade, uh, you could just say it's an area that had some columns, and there's a pool, and there's five of them. Fun fact, when I was researching this, they actually uh, found this area. Archaeologists found it and discovered that it was five actual pools. Um, so it's kind of a fun little fact there that they can go dig up all this stuff, and we have this Bible 2,000 years later, and it still holds true. You can go find the site and say, oh, there's five of them. This is the place, you know. <laughs> so that's kind of a cool thing I saw. So anyway, there's five, there's a pool called Bethesda, and there's five little areas here. And it says, verse 3, in these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered. Now, your version probably has this cut out, but verse 4, see, it skips, a lot of times it skips from 3 to 5. Verse 4 is this part that they think might have been added later. They're not 100% sure, but it kind of explains what these pools were about, and why there are people there. So if you have an old version of NASB, it says, 
waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at a certain season into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. So uh, they, they, again, they're unsure about whether this explanation technically was in the original manuscript. It's kind of a vague thing. But regardless, they do know that people gathered there that were disabled or had diseases. Many wither, like people would gather at these pools because for whatever reason, they had healing properties. Now, we could say it was an angel or we could say it was, I don't know, maybe they had, it was really rich in minerals or something. Who knows? But regardless, the Jews knew that this pool could heal. So there is a reputation about the pools. So you have all these people gathering at these pools, waiting, and you got to get there first. So there's kind of this emphasis of you got to get in the pool first after it gets rippled or whatever. And then verse 5, it says, And a certain man was there who had been 38 years in his sickness. 38 years. And think about the life expectancy of that time. Not very high. So 38, I'm guessing you're probably getting to the end of your life at that point. Maybe he, maybe he had it from birth, and maybe he was only 38. But I don't know. Imagine if he was only 15, and then he got whatever disease he got. So he's, this is an older person at this time in that day and age. And verse 6, it says, When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? It's a funny question, right? Of course he wishes to get well. (laughs) It's not like Jesus needs the answer to this question, and yet he still takes the time to ask it. And I think that's really interesting. I also love that every time you, you read through the Gospels, just make a note of every time that Jesus that it says, when Jesus saw, right? Because, right, so often we feel like God does not see. And, right, we feel like that. We feel like, it's like, are you not paying attention? Do you not know? Like, the world is in this state. I mean, think about even this last year. Are you paying attention? Like, can you miss it? <laughs> There's a whole pandemic, and people are more divided than it seems like in a long time, and you can't say anything without offending this person and that person. And it just is all over the place. We can't figure out how to do church. And there's a question, right, that often comes in our mind of, is God looking? Is he seeing? Does he care? So make that note when you see that, because here we have John 5 telling us that God cares. He sees. Because Jesus could have passed him by, could have not saw, but he does. So here's our proof right here. And it happens over and over and over when you read the Gospels. So verse 7, so he asked him, do you wish to get well? Odd question. Then verse 7, he says, the sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. So this guy is disabled so much that he cannot get himself quickly enough to the water. So he doesn't have anyone to help him either um, to do that. And so people, while the water stirs, get down there faster than he can. And so he never gets to get healed. You guys kind of get this picture? I love that. I have... He's like saying, I have no help. I don't have a chance. Right? It sounds familiar, right? <laughs> I d- there's no chance of me getting down here. All I can do is sit here and just hope for the day that maybe I get there first. So he explains this, this to Jesus. And I think about it too. He's basically saying, all these people are selfish. They don't even help me. <laughs> 
it's kind of funny. Like, he's, he's not afraid to tell Jesus how it is, how he feels. And it's a great example to us, too, of when Jesus asks us a question or he sees us, look at this, right? We're allowed to tell God what's going on. <laughs> I don't have any help. There's no one here. I, I, I've been doing this, and it's not working, right? So take comfort in that, right? So verse 8, let's keep going through. He says, so Jesus says to him, the simple thing, uh, arise, take up your pallet, and walk. No explanation, no do this, no, uh, you know, there's, every story is different with Jesus. One, one guy, he says, go and do this seven times, and then uh, that you'll be healed, or you know, here, let me make some mud with spit, put it on your eyes, and now you're blind, or you're, now you're blind, now you're, now you can see, right? There's, but this is different. He just says, arise, take up your pallet, and walk. He doesn't even say you're healed. He doesn't say your sins are forgiven. He doesn't even, he doesn't even, even ask him necessarily, uh, I mean, he did ask him, do you wish to get well? The guy didn't really say, yes, I do, or but so it's, it's a very, this is a very short conversation interaction here. In verse 9, immediately, uh, to no surprise to us because we're reading the Gospels in hindsight, immediately the man became well and took up his pallet and began to walk. So again, no surprise, but to him, I mean, just put yourself in this guy's shoes for a second. 38 years. You could, you could just stop the message right there and just 38 years. And then one moment with Jesus and everything changes. So immediately he became, he, he, he became well, took up his pallet and walked. And it says now it was the Sabbath on that day. Of course. Verse 10, therefore the Jews were saying to him who was cursed, saying to the guy who was sick, it is the Sabbath and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. So here come the Pharisees uh, about to uh, ruin his day. <laughs> they got, they, here come the Pharisees who are just have a bad attitude all the time. Uh, they're always looking for the wrong thing. Um, but I want us, as we're going through this passage, we're going to find ourselves as well within the Pharisees. We can relate to them. Um, again, it's very hard because we read the Gospels in hindsight, but if we were there and we didn't know what was going to happen, it wouldn't seem so odd, the Pharisees bringing this up or saying something necessarily. So, But anyway, they're, they're saying... Uh, it's the Sabbath. Hey, I don't know if you knew. Uh, it's not permissible for you to carry your pallet. Nothing about him being healed. Uh, you know, disregard that whole situation. Just, you shouldn't be doing that, you know? And he says, verse 11, uh, but he answered them. So he, he has got a response. Good for him. He, uh, he answered them and said, he who made me well was the one who said to me, take up your pallet and walk. That's a good response. <laughs> I don't know if I would say that, but I think it's a pretty good response. It's like, hey, you know, you're not, you're not able to do that. Oh, well, you know, the person who did this miraculous thing and I was sick for 38 years and now I'm not told me to pick up my pallet, so I think I'm going to do that. <laughs> you know, like... I don't really care anymore what you say because this guy completely changed my life and it doesn't matter anymore. I mean, that's basically what he's saying to me is, hey, the one who healed me, he said to do this, so you got a problem, you got to go with him. Uh, verse 12, and look at the difference between these two verses. We're going to focus in on this later, but they said, they asked him, so he said, the man who made me well. Now they're saying, who is the man who said to you, take up your pallet and walk? So they want to know, yeah, who's this guy? Who are you talking about? But think of it. He, he first said, this is the guy who made me well. And now they're changing the story to, who is the person who told you to do this? 
if I was in a conversation with someone and they described a person by a certain way, then we kind of now say, well, this is how we address this person, right? This is the guy who was wearing a red shirt. I don't change it to, well, the guy who was wearing blue pants who also was wearing a red shirt, you know, it's just, no, this is the guy who was wearing a red shirt. Do you guys kind of understand what I'm saying? Like when you're in a conversation, if someone addresses somebody a certain way, you just kind of go with that. They change it to, no, it's not the man who made you well. Uh, we don't know about all that. But it's the man who told you to break this rule, actually. We're going we're gonna to focus in on that. So they want to know who it is. Verse 13, he says, but he who is healed did not know who it was. So that, I mean, just think about that too. Like, this guy doesn't even know who the guy was, who Jesus was. He didn't even know he was Jesus. I mean, it's, it kind of, this story kind of defies all rules. He, Jesus randomly comes up to somebody. He doesn't know who he is, just says, do you want to be healed? The guy explains the situation. Jesus says, get up and walk. He gets up and walk. And he doesn't even, <laughs> he doesn't even know it's Jesus. So, so John tells us, yeah, right, he didn't know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while they were, uh, there was a crowd in that place. So Jesus went away, um, I'm sure, on purpose. Um, it's not an accident. Verse 14, after Jesus found him in the temple and said to him. So afterwards, Jesus comes back, finds the guy, which again, I'm sure this is not an accident. He intentionally did this. And he said, behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse may befall you. Well, that's interesting. So Jesus heals him. No explanation of why. No, uh, like, uh, condition to healing. And then comes back and says, hey, by the way, you're well. Don't sin anymore. Um, and then he says, Noth- so nothing worse may befall you. So what's worse than 38 years a cripple? Hard, hard, to, uh, hard to say. I think in the world's eyes, there might not be much worse. And we can easily look at our situations and say, this is really bad. <laughs> and someone should do something about this. Or this is wrong. Not supposed to be this way. But Jesus is making a distinction in this story that that's bad. He's not saying it's not bad, but he says nothing worse. He says, you think this is bad, but there's something worse than even that. So we're going to come back to that. So he says, don't sin anymore, so nothing worse may befall you. Then verse 15, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So he goes back and says, Hey, by the way, it was Jesus. Because uh, maybe he wanted to give him credit. Maybe he wanted to be clear with them. Um, I don't know. If I was him I, and I knew it was Jesus, I probably would say something so that they knew this guy's still, you know, uh, I don't know. Like, you're kicking it to the man in a way. <laughs> uh, hey, it was Jesus, actually. The guy you guys can't get a grip on. So he tells them it's Jesus. And then 16, it says, For this reason the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So they're persecuting Jesus. Jesus heals this guy, and they're persecuting him because he's doing it on the Sabbath. And verse 17, but he answered them. So this is Jesus now is in the situation. And Jesus says, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. In other words, that's a very hard translation, but what he's saying is that you know that God is working. My father is God, and he's working, and he's working on all, all the time. And by the way, I am too. So he's saying something very to the Jews 
this would have made their ears on fire, right? They would have been like, what are you saying? Excuse me, you know? And then verse 18, explain, John explains this to us if we're struggling to understand what Jesus is saying. Verse 18, it says, For this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So may God bless the reading of his word. Amen. <laughs> so that's this little story. And I kind of want to work our way backwards through this story, ending on the first kind of part. Um, and so let's focus in on this last little part here. For this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking not only the more to kill him, but because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but also he was calling himself, he's calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And again, I just want to explain for the Jews, this, this is very important stuff. So, and it helps us to understand that because when we read through the Gospels, we want to look for the validity and the truth. How do we know that this is really how it happened, right? And this is a good verse to kind of key in on of like, this is actually how it happened because it makes sense. Jesus, you know, saying this is a big deal. To the Jews, that would have been heresy. It would have been, we're going to kill you. We take that seriously, Right? You, you could die for saying that. That's how serious this is. So it kind of shows you like, it kind of shows you um, we don't have to read the Bible to know that. We can look at Jewish history. We can look at Jewish uh, culture, and we already know that. That's, that is a part of, that's how the Jews operate, right? Even you can separate the New Testament and just look at the Old Testament, you know, you just look at the Old Testament of the history of the Jews, this is their attention to that kind of claim, that this is not okay. So it kind of validates this story in a way that this is actually what Jesus said and did. And that's why the Jews had this response. And there's no, not really any other thing that Jesus could do that would bring this sort of response. So again, it, it proves to us and it shows us... Uh, because when we, in our day and age, I feel like a lot of people are uh, wondering about the validity of Scripture and, well, who was Jesus really? Um, and so when we read through the Gospels, it's important to pay attention to those things that help us to say, well, yeah, this is who Jesus was. It's really important for us to say, you know, Jesus wasn't just a good guy and he said some smart things. Uh, that that that's kind of a, you don't have a very good picture of Jesus if that's the truth, because look at this verse. He's saying he's equal with God. That's not smart, <laughs> you know? Like, that doesn't make any sense. It's not like I'm going to walk around telling people I'm equal with God. It's going to get me in trouble. And that's kind of leads us to our first point, is I kind of thought about this as a silly thing, but following Jesus... And if you're taking notes, following Jesus will get you into trouble. It will get you into the right kind of trouble, but it still will be trouble. And it's kind of a funny thing, because you look at this story, and Jesus is getting himself into trouble, right? He, I mean, he's getting himself into serious trouble. He's about to die, actually. He's about to get mobbed. So, and it's... It, it, if Jesus is modeling to us how to live, then we should take that kind of seriously of, well, am I living the same way? Is, what, is me following Jesus getting me into a sort of trouble? And I would say it's a right kind of trouble. And I don't think that, uh, I don't think that the world is any different. 
I think people say that a lot. They say, well, back then that would have made sense. He gets into trouble because of that. But I don't think it, you could apply the same idea to our current day and age. Because I think if you look at verse, uh, again, go back to verse 12 and 13, right? The distinction between the two. The man who is who, who was healed says, well, it's the... It, it, G- he says about Jesus, this is the man who healed me. And then the Pharisees say, well, no, this is the man who told you to break this rule. So there's a distinction being made there. And it's easy for us, again, to put this story in the past and distance it away from ourselves. But if we can put ourselves in their shoes, basically the Pharisees, in a way, are trying to... uh, They're trying to ignore a reality. The reality being, this man was healed, right? That's the reality of the story. To me, if I was said, if I was in their shoes, the 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 biggest deal here is that Jesus healed this man. It's not that the Sabbath was broken. Like that's kind of an afterthought, right? So they're purposely trying to move past that reality. And I think we do the same thing ourselves in the way of, just like the Pharisees, they, they have an expectation of how things work and how something is supposed to work. And when that doesn't go the way they expect, they're looking for ways to uh, invalidate that, to... Um, they're looking for ways to, uh, I would say, like, in our day and age, we're, we're always looking for ways to blame something else. Well, what's, what's the blame here? You know, something didn't go according to plan. Well, this must be someone's fault. It must be, I did something wrong then. It must be. Or, or you're, you're always looking for ways to justify, you know, something. Well, I did this right, and, and that was their fault. Or... You know, this is how it's supposed to be, so that's why this is the way it is. And I think the, the problem with that and the problem we see with the Pharisees is they're using that, they're doing that in a way to try and escape reality instead of their, I guess the way I would put it is they're not looking for understanding and truth in this situation. They're just upset with this reality and they don't want to accept it. So it's a good reminder for us because we can do the same thing. Um, we do it in the church and we do it outside of the church, I would say. And again, just to key in, this is something that Jesus wants us to pick up in this story because do you think that Jesus could have told him, arise, get up and walk and don't take your pallet? Right? He could have said that. He's, I mean, think about this. He specifically told him, Take up your pallet and walk. So I don't think I don't think I'm reading into this to say that Jesus purposefully kind of made this situation happen. He's trying to make a point to the Pharisees, hey, there's something bigger going on. Can you get can you grasp it? Something more going on here. And it's how different would this story read? if the Pharisees were genuinely looking for truth and reality, if they said, wow, this guy got healed and it was on the Sabbath and I know that's wrong, but he was healed. Well, what's going on here? You know, who is this Jesus guy? Why is this happening? Let's talk to him. Let's figure this out. Like, does that make sense? That could have been a totally different but it's their mindset and their intention of why they're kind of picking this apart. So one question I thought we could think of in this is, if you want to write this down, um, and it's a hard question, but what truth or reality are we ignoring or trying to escape in our lives because we're too busy finding a place to put our blame? You know, we're upset how this goes. This is not how it's supposed to be blah, 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 whatever. This is not the rules, right? And we're trying to blame something, whether it be ourselves or others, 
when in reality there's something going on that we just need to seek truth. We just need to seek understanding. It's not a thing of blame. And I thought about, um, I'm reading a book called, called Barking to the Choir, which is actually kind of ironic. But it's uh, by this guy named Greg Boyle. Um, and he is awesome dude. He's started a, uh, a, uh, a program down in L.A. called Homeboys Industry. And basically, it's kind of a one-stop shop for gangsters and the gang community to go and get classes they need, get um, recovery, therapy. They, get, they can get a job. You know, they can get, get back healed and into regular life. Because oftentimes, right, they have a lot of social work to do. They, it's hard for them to handle a job, someone telling them what to do. Um, they, they look, you know, intimidating, and they're not used to, like, using respectful language or whatever it is. So he started this um, program where he specifically gives them a job and helps them to get back on their feet and get out of the gang life because that's all they knew. And it's really amazing. I highly suggest reading his first book called Tattoos on the Heart, uh, Greg Boyle. I read that one. It's, it's fantastic. But this new one that he uh, wrote, I wanted to quote something from it because I thought he said it so good. He says, he's talking about this. He, he uses stories a lot. And he says, he's talking about this guy, and he's drawing this truth from me. He says, locating our wounds leads us to the gracious place of fragility, the contact point with another human being. Locating our wounds. And then he says, when we share these shards of excavation with each other, we move into the intimacy of mutual healing. And he says, awe, awe, A-W-E, awe softens us for the tender glance of God. Awe softens us for the tender glance of God, then enables us to glance in just the same way. And he says, we must try and learn to drop the burden of our own judgments, reconciling that what the mind wants to separate, the heart should bring together. Dropping this enormous inner burden of judgment allows us to make ourselves what God wants the world to ultimately be, people who stand in awe. Judgment, after all, takes up the room you need for loving. Think about that. Judgment, after all, takes up the room you need for loving. Reading oneself for awe at every turn insists that compassion is always the answer to the question before us. I love that. Like, that's such a good explanation of, to me, judgment, what judgment does. Like, we're, we're looking for a reason to blame. We're looking for a place to judge. We're looking for an escape. We miss out on the opportunity to be in awe of something, in awe of what God's doing, and the opportunity to share in that with other people. And look at this story. It's exactly like, um, I feel like Greg Boyle is saying, the Pharisees missed out on being in awe, <laughs> right? They could have been, this is an incredible thing. Someone got healed after 38 years. You might as well just forget it, celebrate, whatever. But they totally missed out on that. And I think about that for ourselves. That's why that question is so important is, what am I missing out on? because I'm so busy judging whether this was the right thing or not and at the right time or whatever. And I'm not saying that we need to roll, just throw out all the rules and everything, but there's something here that we need to see, and Jesus is doing it. And if Jesus is doing it, we've got to pay attention. And it kind of moves us to the second point this morning is this idea about rules. And I, and I wrote this down. If you're taking notes, this is kind of our second point is that rules... It's hard, but rules are about impressing God. Faith is about being impressed by God, right? 
Rules are about impressing God. Faith is about being impressed by God. I'm getting warmed up. I gotta take off my jacket. Uh, <laughs> and think about this. Like again, what did Jesus tell the man to do? He specifically told him, "Pick up your mat." He told him, "Break the rule." Hey, break the rule. That's kind of cool. I mean, it's always fun when you have like a mentor or whatever that's like, "We're gonna break this rule," right? Or like you, you know, it, it reminds me of like when I was a high school student or middle school student and, uh, you, you know, the, your mentor or whatever would take you out to go get a burrito or whatever. It's kind of like, oh, we're breaking the rules. We're going off, we're going off campus. <laughs> but uh, again, look at the difference between verse 11 and 12, right? I think, uh, again, they, they're missing out on the awe. They're missing out. And this whole idea of rules, I, I actually explained this to uh, uh, when I was doing a worship practice. We kind of cued in on this idea one time. And it's um, Henry Cloud says it in a way of we need to move from rules to principles. Because a rule, and he says, he kind of uh, draws it from 1 Corinthians 13, and we'll kind of get to it, but. A rule works when you're a kid, right? You, you, you think of like if the stove is hot, right? So you just tell the, you tell the kid, don't touch the stove, right? They don't need to know why. They probably don't even understand why. They just need to know you're not allowed to do this, right? And for a kid, that's fine. That's all that matters, right? You tell them no and whatever. That's, that's all they need to know. That's all they can know. But, right, as we get older, you start getting into your 11, 12, whatever, and you start questioning, why can't I touch the stove? And what about it, you know? Or maybe you start understanding why you can't touch it. Well, because it's hot. And now you need to know you can touch it sometimes, but when it's hot, you shouldn't touch it, right? So what happened? The rule changed from don't touch the stove to, well, you can't touch it when it's hot. And then maybe when you get older, it's like, well, you can't touch it, but that would be bad. <laughs> then you'll get hurt, right? <laughs> but you can touch it, I guess. You could touch it really fast or something. So you see the rule kind of changes as we mature. And Henry Cloud, Cloud kind of cues in on this idea, and he attributes it to 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says, this is such a cool verse. He says, verse 13, 11, he says, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child and think like a child and reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. That makes sense, right? When I was a child, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And then when I became a man, I put away childish things. Those things don't work anymore. And then he says this thing. So he's using this analogy, and he says this thing. For now, verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. So Paul is making, using the, uh, the picture of growing up and maturing as an adult and how we put away those childish things. We grow up um, not in a negative way, in a positive way. We gain understanding. We understand how things work better. Um, and he's saying that this isn't just a... Uh, like physical thing. This is a spiritual thing too. This happens spiritually. When I'm when I'm a spiritual baby, when I first start following Jesus, I simple rules work, right? Uh, I'm not I'm not going to do this anymore, right? I'm not I'm not going to go, you know, hang out with these people. They always drag me down. I'm not going to I'm going to stop lying. I'm going to stop cheating. I'm going to stop this or whatever. And those things work, and we're motivated by those simple things. The problem is we have to move in our maturity, and Paul's making this distinction to us, we have to move in our, in our maturity in that same way uh, where he's saying, right? Uh, why do you think he says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I know fully. He's saying that when I die and everything ends and we go to heaven, I'll know full. I won't ha I'll see God face to face, right? But now we don't. 
I only see a mirror dimly lit. I only understand in part. He says, I only know uh, in part. So think about that. If we only know in part, then that means our information is kind of incomplete. It's not fully there, right? So we know, we, we, and that's why to me it's like we have to move. So the way that uh, Henry Cobb says this is we have to move from rules to principles. We, un- we have to ask the question of why is that a rule? Why do you not heal on the Sabbath? Woo. Does that make sense? Why do we not heal on the Sabbath? Is Jesus really breaking a rule or is he teaching us that these rules are not as black and white as we thought? We can touch the stove. It's just when it's hot, you'll get hurt. You know, that's a principle. Don't touch something that's hot because you'll get hurt. You understand that. The problem with the Pharisees is that they're missing out. They've, they've just been stuck in the black and white. And we can do the same thing. And I think, look at this. Pay attention, try and grasp this. It's, it's hard for me to um, explain this because my mind is like, I have so many things connected, but I want you to really grasp this. 1 Corinthians 13, right? He says this whole thing, we gotta, we got to grow up. we got to put away our childish things. We only know in part now. We don't know fully. So we need to have principles about things, but they're not black and white. They're gray. There's, there's some room here to move around. And he says, verse 13, at the very end, he says, but now faith, hope, and love remain these three. But the greatest of these is love. So Paul's saying, so now that you understand we have to move to principles and there's gray area, the reason why is because faith, hope, and love. Greatest of these is love. The leading principle, you know, you can touch the stove, but it wouldn't be loving to your body to touch the stove when it's hot, right? Does that make sense? You have to have another reason behind a principle, otherwise the principle just becomes a rule again. There has to be some sort of why. And Paul is saying the why is faith, hope, and love. And that's why I'm saying rules, this is the difference. Rules are about impressing God. It means I do this, this, and this. I don't heal on the Sabbath. I, I do all the right things, and God is impressed. And the same thing in the world, right? I get the right job. I get the right girlfriend. I have the right friends. I have the right car. People are impressed, and I'll be happy, right? We do the same thing in our own lives. And it's all about impressing some idea of them, God, versus what Paul is saying is that faith is about being impressed by God. To me, it's like, think about this guy. Did it take faith for him to be healed? I would argue yes. He had to, he had to talk to Jesus. He had to explain to Jesus his situation. He had to follow Jesus' like, direction to get up and walk. And I think, so for us, like, the question I thought of today is, is, what is my principle? And the question simply, right, is, is it to impress God or is it to be impressed by God? Which is it? It's very simple. Our third point this morning, it kind of just leads right into that, is if you're taking notes again, Jesus asks the simplest of things. Jesus asks the simplest of things, but they're impossible to do without him. Does that make sense? Jesus asks the simplest of things, but they're impossible to do without him. Look at the verse. Look at the, look at the story, right? What did Jesus ask him to do? The simplest of thing. Pick up your pallet and walk. He didn't ask him, hey, you need to, uh, you need to get all these 10 things in order and, and make sure you don't fail on any of them. And then if you do that, by the time you're dead, 
you're good. <laughs> no, he just says, it, it's, it's, it's so arbitrary even, like, pick up your thing and walk. But the thing is, I mean, think about it. Could he have done that? No, it, right? He couldn't have done it. It was impossible. It was an impossible task that Jesus asked him to do. Think about that. Like, think about that for us. Put ourselves in his shoes. God asks us to do the simplest of things, and they're impossible without him to do it. I, I, I thought of an example in my life is like, we see this all the time where God asks us, oh, you know, I would like you to go and talk to this person. Well, God, that was a bad, that's a bad idea because I, I don't like talking to them. They're intimidating and I'm going to get flustered and upset and it's not going to be good. And you know what? I'd rather go and do this, this, and this um, so that they notice and then they'll see that, um, that, that, that thing that you want them to see, and then I won't have to talk to them. And then, you know, problem solved, right? <laughs> we, God asks us to do these things, and in our mind, it's like, that's impossible. Can't be done. I can't, I can't have that conversation. Or I can't, I can't make that step. And why do you think God asks us of those things? It's, it's not because he wants to just force us to suffer in those situations. It's because he wants us to know we can't do it without him. <laughs> Following Jesus, you, one way I put it is like, you can't follow Jesus without Jesus. But we try and do it all the time, right? We, we say, well, I'll do this, this, and this. We, uh, just, you know, I know you said that, but I'm going to leave you over there, and I'm going to do this, this, and this, and then th- we'll reach the same point at the end, <laughs> But it doesn't work that way because God doesn't care about reaching the same point at the end. He cares about doing it with you the whole time. You know, we think that the end goal is the goal in a way. And Jesus is like, no, it's, I, the goal is relationship, right? That's the goal. It's not following this rule and then you, got, you, you figured it out. It's, I want to do this with you. So, uh, well, let me catch up with my notes here. Yeah, I think, and the, and the question to ask ourselves in this third point is, uh, is, again, these are just hard questions. Have we traded, have I traded doing life with God for life for God? You know, it's okay I want to give you guys permission this morning. It's okay to know, to feel like the thing that God is asking you to do is impossible. Even if in your mind you think, that shouldn't be impossible. I should be able to talk to that person. Why can't I do that? Jesus told me to, he, God told me to, to do this for five minutes today. Why can't I do that? And I want to give you permission it's okay. God asks us to do impossible things. It may be impossible for you to sit for five minutes and listen to God. That's the point. He wants you. He's like, you know, rely on me. I'm going to help you do it. But if we miss, if we're, again, going back to the judgment thing, if we're so busy judging ourselves for not being able to do that, then we lost all of our room for giving God the space to show us and be in awe of what he can do. Imagine, Again, this sounds silly, but imagine if the conversation between this guy who is sick and Jesus went more like, hey, Jesus, you know, I can't get down to there because, uh, you know, no one will bring me down. And Jesus says, get up and walk. And he says, well, you know, I don't know if you know, but it's the Sabbath today, so it's not a good time right now. And because, you know, the Pharisees are all here and it's not going to be good. So if you come back tomorrow, I'll be here and you can do it then right? That sounds ridiculous. But if you were, (laughs) we do that all the time. (laughs) We do. That's bad. It's a bad time right now, God, because, you know, I have all this work I have to get done. And, um, you know, it's just not going to work out. I can do it next week, though, because I'm free next week or whatever. And it's like, you think Jesus made a mistake in asking you right now? No, he he didn't make a mistake, okay? But, But it's okay Again, you have permission to, to realize that it's impossible. You need God. You can't follow Jesus without Jesus. 
So verse four, or sorry, verse four, point four, our last point today, we're going back to the very beginning of the story. And the kind of the point is, uh, if you're taking notes, have we realized, have we realized how desperate the place we are in is? Have we realized how desperate the place we are in is? And I know that sounds intense right now, but I want us to, I want to hash this out a little bit this morning. Because Jesus says, right, in verse 14, uh, he found him, found the guy who, who he healed. He said, behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse may befall you. So again, Jesus is making a distinction. He's saying that being sick for 38 years is not as bad as something else that has to do with sin. That's very scary <laughs> to me because I'm like, I, you know, one of my biggest fears is becoming crippled. Like, I, I think about that sometimes when I'm doing, like, mountain biking or when I was surfing all the time. It's like, man, if I, what if, like, a shark art mar- ate my arm off and then I wouldn't be able to play guitar and I would only have one arm and that would suck. Like, it would just be horrible. My life would be over. But Jesus is saying, that's not actually the worst that could happen to you. And I want us to, you know, a lot of times we're going to, we look at this verse, these verses where Jesus makes these distinctions and these claims, and we just say, well, again, like, we disregard Jesus. Well, that's just, it's just Jesus talking about spiritual things again. It's not, it's not, it doesn't make sense. But, again, like, who who did the Jews say, what did the Jews say about him? This is a man who's claiming to have, to be equal with God. That's very serious. <laughs> if Jesus is who he says he is, then we got to pay attention to what he's saying because it's life and death, right? This is the man who is equal with God and apparently has the power to heal this guy after 38 years. Not only that, he's got the power to resurrect himself. Okay, so we, when Jesus says something, we got to seek after understanding. We can't disregard it because we don't understand it. I struggled to think of a way to uh, illustrate this point this morning about being in a desperate place. And I thought of... Um, uh, I don't want us to focus on condemning ourselves this morning because we have sin in our lives. Because that's so easily the thing we do. Jesus is talking about sin. Man, I got a lot of sin. And see, I'm a bad person. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. It's true. Uh, we want to disregard these things because we don't want to sit there and condemn ourselves. And th- you know what? Scripture tells us not to do that either. So I want to focus on this idea of sin. What, what really is sin? Um, and one of the ways I thought I could illustrate this this morning is actually something in my life uh, that I've had to figure out recently uh, is <laughs> I go to therapy every, well, now I'm going every other week, but I've been going for a long time just because of different things in my life that happened that were very hard for me to recover from when I was a child and different things. And so I go to therapy because I don't want to not be in reality. I want to be living in reality. I don't want to be living with some denial or some uh, sin in my life that's not being, uh, I'm not paying attention to or trying to figure out or let God into. One of the things my therapist recently asked me to do was so hard. Talk about impossible tasks that God asked you to do. He wanted me to write a letter to myself 
when I was a child. So you write a letter to your child self, but from your adult perspective. So whatever is happening to you, you're writing to yourself, explaining it from an adult perspective. Because when you're a child, you don't, you don't have the luxury of understanding something from an adult perspective. You just understand it as a child, right? Oftentimes, you just go, it goes right to child, children do. They just go straight to blaming themselves, right? So I had to write this letter to myself, and it was the hardest thing to do. But I want uh, something that came out of it um, after I finally did it. It took me like two weeks to build up the courage to do it. Is that um, I realized I realized from writing this letter that before I understood, before little Bryce understood that I had a need, right? We all have needs, right? When you're, especially when you're a kid, you have needs, right? You, someone's got to feed you. Someone's got to take care of you. Someone's got to put you up in a house. Yeah, those are all needs. You can't do them yourself. But before I even understood what a need, that I had a need, the need was not met. Does that make sense? There was a need that was not met. And I didn't even understand that I had a need, much less that it wasn't being met. And I realized that before I understood that I had a need that was not even met, I went looking for ways to meet that need that I didn't even understand that there was a need. <laughs> Do you guys understand what I'm saying? We go look, when you're a kid, you go looking for ways to meet that need. And we may even do this as adults. You go looking for ways to meet that need in all kinds of ways that the world creatively gives you. But you don't even realize what the need is that you're trying to get met. And so, the thing I want us to grasp about sin in our lives is, you know, a lot of times we think of sin as just the bad things that we do. And that's true. But, and we're professionals at creating ways to do evil things. <laughs> I mean, just look at history for two seconds. Um, I mean, go to, I don't know, you know what I'm talking about. I hope you do. But uh, <laughs> not only that, but sin is also the, the evil around us the cycle of it. It's the cycle that we find ourselves in when we're a child and this need wasn't met because that parent had this situation and that need wasn't met in their life and so on and so forth. And this person over here is just being a rotten person because they didn't get this need met because that other person did that to them. It's just this never-ending cycle. So we have to think of sin too as it's not only the things that we do, but it's also the things that are done to us. We have to wrap our minds around that. And I think if we go back to the verse, you know, behold, verse 14, behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse may befall you. I, th I feel like we have to put ourselves in the place of this man today. And when I was reading this with my student, I, I was just dumbfounded that Jesus was saying to me and coming to me as that man who is crippled for 38 years. I'm not physically crippled for 38 years, but all of us have these wounds that we have carried through our lives that seem impossible to address. We are this man. We really are. And I think do you think that this man, like I wrote this down, do you think this man was not motivated for the rest of his life by this singular act of mercy and love? Think about that. If you're that guy, you're living the rest of your life in gratitude, right? probably, it is going to affect everything else in your life. If he's a grandparent, he's going to be the happiest grandparent from now on. <laughs> you know, if he's a parent, he's going to be, he's going to give everything that he has 
right? If he's just a friend, he's going to be the best friend from now on because those things, they change us. And cue in on this this morning. What happened first? First, Did Jesus say, well, if you do this, this, and this, um, stop sinning, then you're going to get healed? That's how we think about it oftentimes, right? I think if I do this, this, and this, God will be happy, then I'll be blessed. That's not what happened in the story. Who acted first? Right? Jesus saw the man, came up to him, and said, asked him, what do you want? Do you want to be healed? And I think about that this morning, like, the reason why we choose not to sin or to be stuck in those cycles is not because we're motivated by rules or that. It's because we're motivated by God. We're motivated by love. We're motivated because God heals us. He does that work in us. And so we say, I don't want this anymore. I'd rather have this. (laughs) You know, we're stuck in awe because we don't have any room for judgment, right? And I thought about that for us this morning. If you can put yourself in the shoes of that guy for a moment. Put your shoes in the self in the in put yourself in the shoes of that guy for a moment this morning. And Jesus is asking us. Think about it. Jesus is asking us, do we want to be healed? I know that a lot of us have so many reasons why we've been disappointed and are this should be this way and this person should have been this way and this is wrong and this is right. But if we can suspend our rule following and impressing God for a moment and come back to being impressed by God, come back to just a flicker of faith and a flicker of hope, we can hear Jesus' voice saying, do you want to be healed? You've been carrying this around for all this time. Would you like to be healed? And I think um, the beautiful thing, too, about following Jesus is that he gives us the permission to say no. He gives us the option. We could, it's our choice. The guy could have said to Jesus, no, I'm not going to pick up my mat and walk. I can't do that, you know. And we say the same thing. And so ask yourselves this morning, you know. I guess the last thing I want to end on is, so much of the time we um, it's hard because it feels like Jesus is not present or God is not like we said at the beginning God is not paying attention he's not looking the reason why scripture is so important is because we have his words We have his words right here. And I think I understand like the pain of God not paying attention. But I just want, if you're feeling that way this morning or you relate to that, I just want to say that Jesus' words in verse 
6 are for you. This doesn't have to be a far-off story this morning. It can be for you. Jesus was God. He's not just saying this for this one man. He's saying it to us. You think he didn't know that we're going to write this down and read these things, you know? So, please, like, have a moment of faith this morning. Um, Have a moment of hope and love that God is asking this question of, do you want to be healed? So, yeah, I'm just going to end with that. (laughs) Let me pray real quick, and then we'll come up and do the last song. God, just thank you for your word. Um, We thank you, too, that it's such... It's so hard sometimes to grasp you in our lives. And we thank you that it's not just some simplistic rule-following thing, but it is a challenge and an adventure and something we have to work at. It's not just this check mark, get it done, I'm in the right place. It is a dynamic thing with you, God. And it takes every fiber of us to move forward. And we grow and we get stronger, God. I pray for us this morning and everyone listening in the online, just that we would have a moment in our lives to be in awe of who you are rather than trying to impress you somehow or impress some idea of what we think should be. Um, We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is this shining example and modeling, and he just blows all of our expectations out of the water. He turns everything upside down. I pray you would do that, have that effect on us, in our lives, in our jobs, in our friendships, in our in our marriages, in our relationships with our children, in our ideas of the future and what we think, all those things, God. We want to be like this guy where our whole life is flipped upside down because you are continually showing up and acting and we are paying attention. We are reaching for you. So be with us the rest of our day. Be with us this week. We just look to you this morning, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for walking through that story with me this morning. And just maybe just go and um, (laughs) uh, may you go and be impressed by God instead of trying to impress God. Amen.